0: Anger Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Good evening, everyone. I'm sure that uh, this summer past, many of you have had the thrill of commissioning or praying for, uh, and hearing back from scores of young people uh, as they have served God on short-term mission trips at home and overseas. Well, tonight I'd like to remind you that many of your young people, children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, friends, members of your congregation, nearly 2,000 of them are about to go on a mission trip lasting several years to a relatively unreached people group numbering 160,000 from over 100 countries. It is likely that this mission team will not be commissioned. They may not even be specifically prayed for or encouraged to offer feedback during the years that they are doing this. They will almost certainly not receive special training in cross-cultural evangelism or contextualization, at least not until they arrive. And they themselves will likely not even see themselves as missionaries. I'm referring, of course, to all those from our families and churches who will be going to university or college in the next few weeks. And the 160,000-plus people group they have been sent to reach is the student population of Ireland. Many of these people are unchurched. Not a few have been de-churched. And the vast majority have little idea of the authentic message of the gospel. And yet they are a people who are spiritually hungry, searching, and beset by an increasing number of pressures and fears. Statistics on depression, addictions, self harm, and even suicide are tragically on the increase among students. In Christian Unions Ireland, we provide a number of key services for Christian students. We can provide an environment of support and encouragement as they face these challenges to their faith. We can provide a place where they can ask the hard questions, where they can be taught and trained so that they can have confidence in the truth of the gospel and that they can learn to lead. But primarily we support and equip them as they become mission teams on campus, going where the churches cannot go, sharing their faith one-on-one through special evangelistic events, lunch bars, concerts, dramas, evangelistic talks with their university friends. Christian Unions Ireland, I hear you say. Yes, I know you haven't heard of us before. That's because before this month, we were IFES Ireland. If you haven't caught up since 1997, we were UCCF, as it still is in, in Britain, And if the 1960s is still where you prefer to be, we were InterVarsity Fellowship. We are the same organisation, with the same aims, the same values and doctrinal beliefs. We have simply changed our name to better reflect to students and to supporters who it is we work with and what it is we do, without having to explain what IFES, International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, stands for. The final straw came when I was introduced in one context as the director of ISIS Ireland. (laughs) so we changed our name we uh, coordinate the work of over 30 or so student led movements from Coleraine to Cork from Galway to Dublin from Waterford to Letterkenny and this map should give you an idea of the various colleges and business schools and art colleges and technical colleges and agricultural colleges uh, as well as universities where we are working because this uh, convention uh, coincides with our staff conference, it's great that all of my staff are here with us this evening. Can I ask you to stand, please, if uh, uh, this is an order, uh, if you're a, a member of my staff? Can, can I ask? Thank you. Can, can I ask you to stay standing? Can I also ask you to stand if you are a student, a Christian at university, maybe a member of a Christian union or just a Christian at university, or about to go? Would you also like to stand, please? Folks, these are our missionaries. Uh, And I commend them to you. And please uh, go to the stall afterwards. Uh, Go to the student event uh, if you're a student or about to become one. And wherever you are going around this island, these folks will be able to connect you with a Christian family on that campus, you can sit down now. But I commend them to you, please, with your prayers. And a very special, uh, exciting development, that uh, Christian union work in Ireland is 100 years old in a couple of years' time. And for the first time in our history, starting this week, we have been able to place a resident worker in the west of Ireland. Helen king blakely is starting uh, this week covering from Sligo right down to Limerick, based in Galway. Tremendously exciting development. Many of us are familiar, I'm sure, with the sterling work done with our good friends and partners, Scripture Union. And essentially, we have the same mission and we continue that work when maybe the safety net of home and of church and of school has gone. For a glimpse into the context... That these guys are working in. I would like to show you a short video clip. It's taken from real life interviews in the University of Washington in the United States, a campus that I actually know quite well. And I can vouch for the fact that the things that are being said in this video would be little different on many of our Irish campuses.
1: There's been a lot of talk about identity lately, but how far does it go and is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington state around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I I think people should be able to have access to the facility. Uh, Bathrooms could and potentially should be gender-neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences.
0: I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether you're sex at birth is matching to that you should be able to utilize the resource. Well, if I told
1: you that I was a woman what would your response be? Good for you, okay like, <laughs> yeah Nice to meet
0: you I'll be like, why? <laughs> really?
1: I don't have a problem with it
0: I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion
1: If I told you that I was Chinese what would your response be?
0: I mean, I might be a little surprised but I'd say, good for you like, yeah, be who you are <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor.
1: I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion, and why you came to that conclusion.
0: Um, I would have a lot of questions, just because on the outside I would assume that you're a white man.
1: If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be?
0: Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately.
1: Uh, <laughs> I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean... I, it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you, no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old.
0: If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you.
1: <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to?
0: Uh,
1: probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now.
0: If that's where you feel like mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that sh- should be a okay thing.
1: If I told you I'm six feet five inches, what would you say?
0: That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're six feet. If you truly believe you're 6'5", I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are.
1: <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong?
0: I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries.
1: No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong, Like that's wrong to believe in it, Cause, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So I can be a Chinese woman. You, (laughs) um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you were six foot five, or Chinese, or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a 5'9 white guy that he's not a six foot five Chinese woman. But clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult?
0: The reason that I think that is so informative is that these bright kids are having to create a whole new structure of belief for themselves. Because of the prevalent and dominant belief that they have taken in, that A, you can't tell anybody that they're wrong, and B, that you can be whatever you feel, students are gradually losing the capacity to think and debate logically about stuff that really matters. This is the world that our students are living in. And that's why part of our mission is to train today as Christian students in apologetics and persuasive evangelism, that they might know what they believe and why they believe. God is doing amazing things throughout our world. Uh, It is a global movement, IFES, of which we are part, Uh, and... A closed African country I can think of where two-thirds of the 60-strong CU movement have come to faith in the last two years. A Middle Eastern country where 40 students travelled through war-torn and rebel-held territory to attend a training conference and experience Christian fellowship. It's a great story for me to tell Belfast students when they think that Dublin's too far to travel for the annual conference. The Kenyan group that is growing in spite of being decimated 18 months ago by terrorists who walked onto the campus at the University of Garissa and mowed down everyone at the Christian Union prayer meeting. The blood of the martyrs is indeed seed. But we shouldn't be surprised. God is faithful. And here in Ireland, we are facing different, but sometimes equally dangerous, pressures. I want you to think of a group of young men probably younger than today's college kids, taken away from home to live in a very different environment with people from different countries, with new pressures, new temptations, placed in classrooms to study and learn new things, some of which were very foreign to them and the religious upbringing that they would have had back home. And in that environment, they formed themselves into a supportive fellowship of people who serve the living God and they decide to take a stand and witness for him. It's the book of Daniel, and it's not a million miles away from the first university Christian union. The parallels are striking. First of all, we have a context of absorption. Daniel chapter 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with the articles from the temple of his God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonian Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. The Babylonians were different from many previous oppressive conquering empires in one crucial respect. Other empires, the Egyptians you'll remember, for example, suppressed the conquered peoples, banished them to ghettos, separated them from cultural life. Their gods would be smashed to pieces, their religion outlawed, and the people enslaved. But the Babylonians were clever. They sought not to crush the conquered peoples, but to turn them into Babylonians, to absorb them. So Daniel and his friends were educated in the Babylonian way. The aim was that before long they would forget who they were and where they had come from, and they would be new people, Babylonians. The religious treasures of Jerusalem were not smashed, but treated with curious reverence, put into the temple of the Babylonian gods, regarded a little bit like museum artifacts, curiosities from another time and another place. The modern university is a melting pot of ideas and cultures and philosophies, but the dominant one in Ireland is clearly secular, pluralistic, atheistic relativism. The temptation for many of our young people is not that they will be physically or explicitly oppressed or persecuted for their beliefs, but that they will be absorbed into the surrounding culture. They will forget who they are and where they have come from, and they will be encouraged to conform. I came across this wonderful picture the other day on social media. I don't know if you can read the t-shirt. It simply says, Be Different, on all of the backs. And the faith, increasingly, of our students will not so much be mocked by disciples of Dawkins and the like, but it will be summarily dismissed, treated like a curiosity, a museum piece of a different time and place. Oh, yes, people used to believe all that stuff, didn't they? not sometimes worse. Many of our students will be more shaken by the apparent irrelevance of their faith in the eyes of their peers than by the outright attacks of a hostile unbeliever. They will be living in a context of potential absorption at the end of which they may be indistinguishable from those around them. So pray for our students. Pray for the three pre-term conferences coming up next week in Castle Wellen for all the Northern Ireland universities and in Dublin for the Republic of Ireland universities. Pray that as those first-year students attend, they will start on an important journey with God through their university years. Secondly, we have a case of identity. We read in verses 3 to 7 of Daniel 1, of how these people are enrolled in the Babylonian University. Daniel and his friends knew who they were. And so they cooperate with this Babylonian policy of unabsorption to a degree. They enroll in this University of Babylon. They learn the history and the culture. They study the academic greats of the time. They are even tutored in some subjects that would have challenged their faith in God. They were prepared to explore and understand the alternative worldviews so that they could better witness to the truth of the living God. They even allowed their names to be changed. They found a way to be good Babylonians without compromising their beliefs. Student years are times of exploration and discovery and study and learning new things. A danger, one which we face in our movement, is that young Christian students may be so frightened by the prospects of university life that they will want to choose the retreat option, the ghettoized option, to see the Christian Union as a protective cocoon, or mistakenly to believe that the Christian Union is there to provide a bubble in which they can be secure. It's not really possible in most of our southern universities where numbers are very small It's not really possible if you're a Christian in the Dublin Art College and your Freshers' Week stall is situated directly beside the naked still life drawing society. It's not easy to hide. But in larger CUs, there can be this temptation to miss out on university life and academic study and survive. Let me tell you, students who go into university with that aim alone, they may not have a crisis of faith at eighteen but they very well have it at 22 when they come out the other end into another world. Which is why we encourage our students to be involved in university clubs and societies, to contribute to the flourishing of universities, and for those who have the aptitude to consider postgraduate and doctoral studies, to raise up a new Christian faculty for our Irish universities. It's been gratifying to note that a number of our CUs in the past two years have won awards for the society that has contributed most to university life. The president of Waterford CU was given a special cup at his graduation by the university. The Trinity and the Queen CUs have had their mission weeks, their mission weeks, nominated as best campus event of the semester. In a culture where we often fight battles over petty things, It's good to remember just how much Daniel and his friends contributed to Babylonian life. I can't see Daniel protesting about flags, can you? I can't see him making a big fuss about musical styles or dress codes. He was able, with God's help, to study the Babylonian culture without being corrupted. So pray for our students. At a time when there is, from some quarters, increased pressure not to allow Christian unions access to campus where two Dublin colleges no longer have a CU meeting there. Pray that our students will shine like stars and in good conscience we can say, as I have done on more than one occasion to university authorities advocating for our Christian students, look at what these students bring to college life. Pray they'll have the courage to be salt and light in their rugby clubs and the film clubs and the political societies and the cultural groups. And that they will be able to do so because they know who they are. Children of God. And above all else, above their politics, above their race, above their sexuality, they will not let those things define them. They are Christ followers above all else. Then, of course, we see that Daniel had a stand to take, a decisive stand to make, in verse 8. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. There was a challenge to loyalty. Why did he make this particular stand? Well, actually, we don't know what it is. It's it's not actually an advocate for teetotal vegetarianism. Uh, Some people have said he took this stand because of the food laws of his people, but there was nothing in the Mosaic law about drinking wine, so what's the problem there? There was, uh, perhaps was it because the food and wine had been offered to idols, but so would the vegetables have been. So what was the problem? It's a difficult one, but Daniel obviously took it as a step too far. He drew the line here, and I think the most likely reason is not that the emphasis is on the food or the wine. The emphasis is on the words, the king's table because eating at the king's table was a quite intimate thing to do. It implied a strong identification with the king and an indebtedness to him. Why do you think Jesus finished his earthy ministry with a meal with his closest people? Why are the, uh, uh, why are the rules about abusing communion so strict? Because a king would only have those at his table who he would trust his life with, who would live and die for him. And for Daniel, that would be defilement. He was living and preparing to die for a bigger king. He was saying to Nebuchadnezzar, I will be a good student. I will be a model Babylonian citizen. I will serve your government in any way I can. I will be your loyal and faithful servant, but I will never be your ally. You can't bribe me into becoming one of your stooges. Maybe he knew his own heart and the seductive pull of the Babylonian court sitting at that table, being someone enjoying the best food and wine, having access to the harem, he knew that pool would be strong and he resolved in his heart that Babylon ultimately was not going to be his home. His citizenship was elsewhere. He served a different king. We want each generation of students to know what it is to declare their loyalty to Christ and to him alone, to know where their allegiance ultimately lies, to know the subtlety of temptation, of course university can be a time of obvious temptations the easy availability easy availability of drugs sexual experimentation the rampant drinking culture that pervades many campuses and i'm not naive enough to think that our christian students are immune from that but in many ways those are the obvious temptations students who fall in those areas do so because ultimately their heart is somewhere else they're not living for christ The solution isn't simply that they stop getting drunk or sleeping around. The solution is that they have a change of heart, a change of loyalty. They sin because they love something else. They break the first commandment before they break the others. But there are other more subtle temptations like Daniel, the seduction of career or academic advancement at the expense of their faith. There will be times when it will be easier to be quiet And we want to encourage each generation of students to resolve in their hearts not to be corrupted by those temptations and pressures to conform. Because people will say to them, you'll go further if you don't let your faith interfere with your work or your studies. That is why our tagline for Christian unions is that they are mission teams on campus, doing what the churches cannot do, Interdenominationally going on to campus and organizing there so that students are reaching students with the gospel. As CUI we provide staff and help and guidance and mentorship and resources and training and speakers, but our CUs are student led. It's in Christian unions that our young people learn to lead and learn what it is to be a Christ follower in one of the most demanding environments they will probably ever face in their lifetime. How many pastors and missionaries, as well as leaders in business and professional life, have said to me, I wouldn't be the person I am today if I hadn't have been pushed out of my comfort zone at university by the Christian Union? It's a global mission field. Bangor Worldwide is about global vision in our universities. The nations come to us. Currently, we're advertising for a coordinator for our international student ministry. In the past two years, we've had international summer missions in four cities and cafes and weekends away for internationals and other locations island-wide. 100,000 internationals come to Dublin alone every year for some period of time. And with local churches, we're part of a vision to reach them. Could God be leading you to come and coordinate that work? Our students learn to share their faith. With resources like Uncovered, Uncover Luke's Gospel, Uncover John's Gospel, they're on our stall. Attractively presented Gospels with evangelistic Bible studies at the back and hundreds of students in Britain and Ireland have been sitting down over the last couple of years naturally with their questioning friends sharing the scriptures because these friends have probably never read the Bible before. A Christian student's flatmate said to her this year, the trouble with you is that you only read the Bible with Christians. You need to read it with some people who don't believe. And she'd been praying for the opportunity to do uncover with someone. She says, well, you wouldn't want to read it with me, would you? She says, well, yes, I would. You won't convert me, but I'll do it. Who knows where that will end up? Lives are being changed. I don't know if there is a place that you can recall where God really spoke to you. Or what you think of when somebody says there was a place God really spoke to me. Maybe it was a mountaintop with a panoramic view or a forest path with the birds singing sweetly in the trees or a beach with footprints. I don't know. This is my place. It was my first night away from home at Stirling University. It was a Saturday night and I walked down to the causeway head roundabout to the fish and chip shop and I sat with a bag of chips and fish on a little park bench there. And I thought to myself, nobody knows me here. Nobody from my home school had gone to this university. I don't have to go to church tomorrow. I don't have to join the Christian Union. I can reinvent myself. And all I can describe it as is the inner witness of the Holy Spirit saying to me, oh, no, no, don't fool yourself. You're not your own, you're mine. This amazing reassurance that what I had was not just genetically passed down by my parents. I wasn't just a Christian to keep them happy. I knew who I was. And that was when I resolved in my heart. And I joined the church, and I joined, and then eventually led the Christian union there. Moses had a burning bush at Mount Horeb. Peter had a voice from heaven on the Mount of Transfiguration. Elijah had fire on Mount Carmel. I had a bag of fish and chips on a roundabout just off the A9. But that's why I'm so passionate about this work. At this time of year, every year, there will be a spiritual battle going on inside the hearts of many, many of our young adults. And it's as if down the ages, the voice of God through Joshua is shouting to each new generation of freshers, choose today whom you will serve. Who's it going to be? Will you follow the risen Christ and identify with his people or will you follow the gods of career and pleasure and sex and hedonism? Will you be happier reclining at another king's table? And then my final point, there is also from the story of Daniel a call to perseverance. The little overlooked verse perhaps at the very end of chapter 1 and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. What was the result of Daniel's bold action in chapter 1? How did God respond to his faithfulness, this young man far away from home in a strange place? He ended up spending his life in exile. From the events of Daniel chapter 1 to the first year of Cyrus is 70 years. During that time, he would face persecution, near death. And if you read the later chapters, depression and doubts. But God had his purposes. When the people were first carried into exile, there were a few popular preachers, like the politicians in 1914, who told them that the war would be over by Christmas. They'd be going home shortly. And these preachers gave them no real help on how to live in the Babylon of the real world here and now. And they sat and they sulked and they waited to go home where it was more comfortable. But Jeremiah sent them a letter from Jerusalem. And he says, the Lord has placed you here. He doesn't want you just to survive and mourn and grin and bear it. He wants you to seek the welfare of the place that you have found yourselves in. What if the false prophets had been right? What if the people had gone home in six months' time? What a pointless, exhausting, fruitless exercise, marching there, marching back. And what would the point of that have been? What would they have learned? But 70 years, a generation. Think of what could be done for Babylon in a generation through the presence of a humbled, obedient, and missional people. Chris Wright says, if we change our outlook, mourners can be missionaries and victims can become visionaries. Seventy years gave enough time for a godly young man called Daniel and some of his friends to be nurtured in how to live in an alien society. Seventy years gave enough time for different dreams to emerge, bigger visions, visions about the rise and fall of kingdoms until the kingdom that knows no end emerges and fills the whole earth. Now give me that vision over any dream about a quick return to a safe environment. We are saying to our students... And to you, our supporters, seek the welfare of the university. Pray for the place where you have been sent, for the student union officers, for the faculty and administrators, and above all, pray for the students, because if they flourish, you will flourish. Pray that Daniels will emerge in our Irish universities. Friends, the university is a melting pot. Student years are years of discovery. The Christian unions are mission teams on campus. And the call to perseverance leads us to recognize that the Christian life is a journey to glory. Eugene Peterson coined the memorable phrase, a long obedience in the same direction. A long road. Life in the CU, we pray, will set our people up for a life of service who knows where. We aim to prepare our students for graduate life. And if there's anyone here who has graduated in the last 10 years and wants to know how to relate their faith and what they experienced at university to the real-life situation of their workplace, speak to me at the stall because we have an exciting new graduate program starting to help you do that. This is about training for life, about setting you up for a life of service. Where is the next generation of missional personnel going to come from? Where is the next generation of church leaders going to come from? Where is the next generation of Christian teachers, lawyers, artists, business entrepreneurs, politicians, and poets going to come from? From the young men and women who next month will be entering our universities and who will resolve in their heart to follow the risen Christ. A strong student movement today means a strong strong church tomorrow. A long obedience. But as it was for Daniel, it's a long road with a glimpse of glory, a wonderful, assured destiny. Brothers and sisters, therefore we do not lose heart. In spite of the mess of our world and the intellectual mess of our students in our universities, in the midst of his persecution and depression, God gave Daniel in chapter 7 a vision of glory. The Ancient of Days on his throne and one like the Son of Man coming down of the clouds of heaven and given authority and glory and sovereign power, and all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is one that will never pass away. Amen.